Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Uh, I think if you've met me before and know me decently well, you know that this is like the perfect Bible passage for me to preach from because I really understand what it means to be thirsty. Um, This water bottle here, I drink like eight of these a day, plus like a bunch of coffees, maybe a little pre-workout in there. Uh, I just get loaded up. It's actually become like a running joke, like in the office at work or like on like my like leadership team of our discipleship coaches here at Slate that like I can't make it through more than an hour meeting without having to take like a bathroom break at some point. I don't even know if I'm going to make it through this message without having to take a bathroom break today. But this message, this story about being thirsty, uh, I feel that. I'm thirsty all the time. I don't know if there's something wrong with me. I've been to the doctor, and they're just like, because all my friends are like, dude, this is like not normal. You should maybe like go get this checked out. They're like, no, you just drink a lot of water and have a small bladder, dude. It just is what it is. So that's my curse. Um, but this story, it's, uh, it's one that interests me and fascinates me. It's this interesting story where we see Jesus going through this land called Samaria. He's going on this journey from what was essentially like the lower part of where the Jewish people lived at the time. And the, uh, there was like an upper part. And in between it, there's this land called Samaria. Uh, and this land of Samaria was a place inhabited by Samaritans, like this Samaritan woman. And it's interesting because the Samaritan people would have had some Jewish history and background, but it was intermingled with other groups of people. And for the Jewish people at the time who were meant to be set apart uh, as like a, a, a distinct people, as God's chosen people, they really disdained and looked down on the Samaritans and almost saw them as like half-breeds or something like really terrible like that. And they had this like really deep like distrust and dislike towards this people group. Uh, and oftentimes like even really devout teachers and Jewish people wouldn't even travel through Samaria, even though it was the direct route between the two uh, parts of where the Jewish people lived at the time, they would go all the way around in order to like avoid being anywhere near Samaritans. They saw them as ritually unclean, uh, that if you were to touch a Samaritan or, or, or drink like from the same well as a Samaritan, then, then you would be considered unclean. You wouldn't be able to go into the temple and experience God's presence until you had been purified. That's the way that they saw these people. And so it's this interesting thing where Jesus realizes that, no, actually, uh, he, he decides, like, hey, I actually need to go through Samaria on my journey. And there's this moment where he stops at the well, and all this tension and all this conflict between these two groups, there would often be, like, fighting between them and these different things. Uh, you you kind of see that underlying this whole story as the woman sort of like, you shouldn't be talking to me. Like, first off, I'm a Samaritan, and that's a big deal. Second off, this is like this, like, honor and shame culture that existed at the time where like like a teacher like Jesus should not just be talking alone to a woman like this like that was highly inappropriate in and of itself and so there's all this tension all these taboos and rules are being broken and Jesus goes and he starts talking to this woman she's like shocked and they have this crazy conversation they start talking about water and the well and living water and she's kind of confused and like by the end of it like Jesus explains it all it's like this is going to be you eternal life and she's like sweet so I don't have to come back and pull water from the well anymore like perfect and it's like no still thinking a little bit literal about this uh and then it goes on 
And they continue their conversation, and there's this tense interaction where he kind of reads her mail, and he talks about, like, hey, go grab your husband. And it's like, he knew. Uh, and then she's just like, yeah, like, I don't have one of those. And he's like, yeah, no, you're right in saying that. You've had five, and the person you're with now isn't your husband. And it's like this really tense moment where he shows her, that, like, he's seeing all of her life. He can see all of her mistakes, yet still he is offering her this opportunity of living water. And he continues on, and they have this really interesting conversation as they continue chatting at the well where they talk about worship. And this is the part that, like, was really sticking out to me from this story as I was reading it through this time. So Jesus, he goes to the well. He's tired. He sits down. His disciples go to get some food. He starts talking to the woman. They have this whole conversation about water and thirst and living water, and we'll dive into that in a sec. But they go on. And they get to this place where they start to talk about worship. Because Jesus, he, he kind of reads her mail. He shows a little bit of who he is and the fact that he knows her. And he knows what she's been through and what she's done. So she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, which would have been Mount Gerizim, which would have been right nearby the well uh, and, and, and located near where that well is or kind of uh, right there. And, and the Samaritans would have believed that, well, the Jewish people worshipped in Jerusalem, and they believed that the temple in Jerusalem is where God's presence was on earth at that time and where they could experience God. The Samaritans believed that the temple on Mount Gerizim is where God's presence was because they still... Uh, believed in like a twisted version of the Jewish faith, not quite the same. They had their own version of some of the Jewish books of the Bible, our first five books of the Bible. And so they had this kind of twisted version of it. And so she's there and she's like, and she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say, as a Jewish person, person talking to Jesus, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, so she's saying like, hey, I see that you're a prophet, but we don't totally agree on like how we're supposed to worship God or what's this supposed to look like. Help me understand this. Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. So Jesus is saying, hey, there's going to come a time where this whole argument, this whole debate doesn't even matter. There's going to be a time where we're not going to be worshiping here. We're not going to be worshiping in Jerusalem. But no, he's saying, uh, he'll be saying, but yes, right now, it's true. Like the Jews, we worship what we know. We actually like are the ones that are the chosen people of God. His presence actually is in our temple. Like that's all real. Uh, you guys are kind of wrong on this. But salvation is coming from the Jews, and soon none of this is going to matter. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So I want to take a minute and pray, and then I want to dive in and unpack this idea of the true worshipers in just a sec. God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather in your house this morning. Guys, thank you for the chance that we've had already today to worship you, to praise you, Lord God, to lift up your name. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come as we gather here together. Lord, I just pray that you would work in each of our hearts, God. You would just open our eyes and reveal to us your truth through, the, through your scriptures, Lord God. Pray this in your name. Amen. And what kind of stood out to me here and what kind of like challenged me a little bit is this idea of the true worshipers. 
Like, what does this mean? Like, who are the true worshipers? What's this whole section on worship talking about? I think for myself, like, I've grown up in church, and I've heard the story of the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well a bunch of times. And always, I, I hear it in the context of, like, this idea of thirst. And I hear about it when it comes to, like, the living water and, and, and this idea that, like, hey, that is, like, a relationship with Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus can offer us a life that is uh, even greater and bigger than anything we have here on earth. And so, you know, more than physical water to sustain us, we need Jesus to sustain us. I've heard this before. But, but I feel like this whole idea, like, about this section on worship is, like, we talk about it just a little bit less. And it challenges me a little bit more. And, and, I, and I think it's just like this thing that's like really interesting. So I started to look into it and research it a little bit. And it's cool because what Jesus is kind of doing here is he's redefining worship for this woman. And it's pretty sick because it, it actually like John who wrote this gospel, this story of this retelling of Jesus' life, this sharing of what he saw and experienced walking alongside Jesus as one of his disciples. Um, As he's writing it here, he's actually writing to a few different audiences. See, in this story, we have what Jesus actually said to the Samaritan woman. And so we see that he redefines worship for her. For her, worship was something that would be done at Mount Gerizim. It was something that was in opposition to the Jewish worship. They believed that the Jews had it wrong. Again, there was violence and tension between these two people groups. And Jesus redefines her worship. He's like, hey, to be honest, Jews were actually right. You're wrong. Sorry. But, hey, there's going to be a change coming where we're going to be worshiping God in a totally different way. Where it's not going to matter which mountain that you're on or which temple that you're at. But see that God is bigger than any one physical place. God is bigger than any one location. He's greater than the temples that we build to try to contain his presence because he is everywhere and all at once and all the time. Uh, And so we're going to actually be able to worship him in a new way soon in spirit and in truth once you know Jesus, once you experience him, once you have his spirit in you, you can worship him wherever, whenever, give him the praise and honor that he deserves in a different way. So he starts to redefine it for her. But at the same time, uh, this book would have been read by a Jewish audience as well. And so as they're reading the retelling of this, for them, their worship is being redefined too. Because for them, they would have had a lot of pride. They're like, hey, we're the ones who actually have been chosen by God. Like, like we're the ones who actually have the temple where God's presence is. We have this whole way that we worship and, and all these rituals and these sacrifices, these ways that we approach God. And Jesus is also redefining their worship in this moment. But beyond this, the book of John was actually the latest gospel written. It was the one written like the furthest time after Jesus actually lived. And it was written uh, by John primarily for uh, a Gentile audience, for a non-Jewish audience. So we see this whole theme throughout scripture where the, the good news of Jesus goes from the Jews to the Samaritans to the end of the earth, from Judea to Samaria to the end of the earth. Uh, we even see it in the book of John here where Nicodemus, the story we talked about last week, is like showing the gospel to the Jews. Then we have this story to the Samaritans. And the next story in the book is uh, uh, to the Gentiles or to the ends of the earth. And we see that John is actually writing this book in the period of time where the good news of Jesus has started to go to the ends of the earth, to people who weren't Jewish people, who weren't Samaritan people, who weren't wrapped up in which mountain they were supposed to be worshiping at. But these people were often Stoics and Gnostics. They were people who believed uh, in these like totally different uh, ways of understanding and seeing the world. Uh, the Stoics believed that God was this like primal force, a physical primal force 
force, like fire, that existed in the world and within people. The Stoics believed that, that their worship or their way of like actually becoming more closer to the divine was to have certain disciplines in order to actually like uh, become more truly divine and more like this primal disciplined force uh, that they were seeking after. So as we read what Jesus is doing and redefining this for the woman at the well, in the same way, it's actually redefining worship for that uh, audience that would have been around uh, when John was writing this. It's redefining it for those who believe in Stoicism, for those uh, in the Roman Empire at the time who participated in idol worship, where they believed that these like physical idols were gods, and they would sacrifice to them and all these different things, saying, no, God is greater than, than your idols. God is greater than some physical force. He's not some physical force that's here on earth. He is spirit. He is above and beyond. Beyond all things, he created everything physical, and we are called to worship him in a different way. And it's really interesting because I think that while those are not the dominant worldviews that we have today, I like Stoicism is actually making a bit of a comeback. So there might be some people who have like been reading some Aurelius in the room or something like that. But other than that, I would say these are not dominant worldviews today, the ones that Jesus is kind of challenging in this passage, and John is challenging as he retells this story. But I think that we still have a lot of different worldviews and ways that we struggle with improper worship. See, I think in our, our time today, like, we, we struggle because we start to, like, worship at the altar of a certain political system. It's like, man, like, if we just had, like, the perfect socialist, democratic socialist government system, then everybody would be taken care of, and everything would be just, and people would be able to go to university, and then it would fix this, and it would fix that, and that would just solve everything. We begin to buy completely into just one, like one system or way of thinking about the world. It's like, okay, if we could just get there, that's going to solve everything. We begin to devote ourselves to this cause. It's like, okay, if I, just all, if I just worship at the altar of capitalism, then everything's going to be okay. If we have the perfect capitalist society, if we get all the government out of the way, everything starts to run more efficiently, people are going to make more money, people are going to be happier, we're going to have more stuff, then we'll all be satisfied, and I just got to devote myself to this. We begin to, we try and try and worship at the altar of consumerism. And it's like, oh, okay, if I can just have the right stuff, if I can just be comfortable enough, if I can just do the right things, then I'm going to be satisfied and I'm going to find some comfort in this life. We worship at the altar of romance and, and, and relationships and try to, try to actually invest and devote ourselves entirely to them uh, and, and expect that to be what's going to give us hope and what's going to bring us truth, what's going to bring us life. We worship at the altars of Pornhub and Instagram and Tinder. We worship at even the altars of good things. We worship at the altar of respectability. We worship at the altar of, of trying to show that we're the right kind of person and we're just humble enough and we're just generous enough and we're just, you know, we're just a good enough Christian. We just go to church consistently enough, you know, three out of four weeks a month, you know. It's just the right amount. And we worship at these different altars. We have these twisted views of our worship. See, I made a big mistake this week um, as I was prepping this message. I thought it would be a good idea to ask my wife which altars I worship at that I shouldn't be worshiping at. <laughs> and she just responded way too fast. Like, we were driving in the car, and I'm like, hey, babe, like, I have this point in my message, and, like, I'm kind of talking about, like, these different altars, these different ways of seeing the world that we get caught up in and we devote ourselves to, and I'm like, yeah, I don't really know, like, like I feel like I'm pretty sold out for Jesus, but, like, 
yeah, like, I, I'm sure I struggle with some stuff. Like, I just love, like, your feedback. Like, you know, anything. And, like, before I could finish my sentence, she's like, the gym. It's like, whoa, okay. All right, maybe I got to work on that. I don't know. But she made this great point. She's like, honestly, like, I think right now, like, it seems like, yeah, you want to be healthy, you want to be active, and that's good. But, like, she's like, I see how much you think about, like, everything that you're eating and the protein you're taking in. And I see how much you think about, like, how often you're working out. And, like, sometimes it's like you can't possibly miss a workout. And she's like, I would challenge you, like, if you could only work out in the morning or do your devotions and you only get one, like, what are you going to do? I was like, like, my devotions, obviously, but, like, faster. And then I go to the gym. <laughs> I, like, I just, like, play worship music while I lift, babe. It's fine. Um, and she kind of read my mail, and she called me out. But I think for a lot of us, like, if we're really being honest, we have some misaligned worship in our lives. We have some ways and places that we are devoting ourselves that are not to the one true creator and the one true God. And if we're going to, like, really break it down, it's probably leaving us a little bit disappointed and dissatisfied because it's never actually going to fulfill us. I think underlying our misaligned worship is often a misaligned thirst. See, before Jesus comes and he redefines the woman's worship, he redefines her thirst. See, I think underlying my misaligned worship and devoting myself to the barbell before I'm devoting myself to my devotionals at times is this misaligned thirst. Like, hey, I have a need. I have a desire. I have a want in me. And I think that if I can just look a certain way or hit certain numbers and hit certain strength goals, that then I'm going to feel good about myself and I'm going to feel satisfied. I think for some of us, we get caught up and we're like, okay, like, man, if we could just get Trudeau out of here, we just get him out of here, then you know what? Like Canada would be like back to what I want it to be. Everything would be set right. And we have a discontent with the world around us. We're frustrated with inflation. We're frustrated what we're seeing in the world. And we're like, hey, if we could just like change this one thing or just get this person into power, just do this thing differently, then everything would be set right and it would be good and like I'd be satisfied. So what happens when we get caught up in, in things like lust where it's like, it's like, oh, okay, if I could just like have this gratification just this like good feeling for a minute here, then I'll be satisfied. See, I believe that under our altar is a deep-seated need. It's the thirst of a traveler in the desert. It's the thirst of somebody walking through a desert place and coming upon a well. It's like, I just want to drink it all in. Like, I can't even imagine what Jesus would have been experiencing. Like, Again, I drink like eight of these a day. I got water all the time. He was walking through a desert, and he walked up to this well, and his point was that more than this physical water, more than the drink that I need, walking through the desert, and it says in that scripture that his flesh was tired, like Jesus was tired from his journey. But more than this physical water, he's like, I need something greater. I need something bigger. I need something more. He's like, he's, he's, he, know, he knew that he needs the Father. And that we need the Father. And that we need a relationship with our Creator more than anything else. See, I believe that each of us has a need and a desire for our Creator. Deep down, we know that this world isn't quite right. That there are things that are broken. There are things that are off-putting. There are things that are challenging in the world around us. We know that there's things that are broken and off-putting and challenging inside of us, too. We know this. And we feel it. 
and we feel these itches and this desire for something greater and for something more. And I believe that this true thirst, this proper thirst, is actually a thirsting for our creator. It's an acknowledgement that we were made not to be a, a broken people in a broken world, but we were made to have relationship with the God of the universe. And not only were we made to have relationship with him, we were made to have a purpose that he has given us. He created us for a reason. He created us with meaning. He created us with a purpose. He has a desire for our lives. And I think a lot of us, deep down inside of us, we can feel it and we know it and we're thirsty. But it's so easy to misalign our thirst and start looking in all these different places and all these different ways to try and satisfy ourselves. So what do we do? When we start to acknowledge, like, okay, maybe I've been worshiping at some of the wrong altars. Maybe I've been devoting myself in some of the wrong places. And honestly, I've been trying it, and it's not working out. I'm ready for some change. I'm realizing that, hey, maybe my thirst has been misaligned. Maybe I've been trying to drink from the wrong wells. Maybe I, maybe I, maybe I need to realize that, hey, this desire that's in me, this lack of fulfillment, this this striving for something more and something greater isn't going to be satisfied by, by, by fulfilling my pride or fulfilling my ego or, or, by, or by looking a certain way or by, by being a certain level of comfort. Maybe it is that I need my creator. What do, we, what do we do with this? Where do we take this? Once we recognize our thirst, how do we quench it? I want to put forward us today some a kind of a, a way of thinking about this that we can see in this passage. See, what we see is that once we know the person of Jesus, then our response is to ask him for the Holy Spirit, receive the gift of the Spirit and everlasting life, and then we are empowered to worship in spirit and truth. We know, so we ask. When we ask, we receive. And when we receive, we worship. When we know, we ask. When we ask, we receive. And when we receive, we worship. First, we need to know the person of Jesus. As the woman at the well is talking to Jesus and she has no idea who he is, she says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus answered her, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. If you knew. See, if we understand our thirst, if we understand what we actually need, which is a relationship with our creator, and if we know that Jesus is him, he is the creator, as he claims, as he says at the end of this uh, passage, he is the I am. He is the Messiah. He is the one who is fully God and fully man who came to earth to make a way for us to have a relationship with God. He is the way, the truth, and the light. He is the one true way for us to be with our creator, to know our creator, to have a relationship with the creator of the universe who shaped us and purposed us for this life. See, if we know Jesus then the only logical thing we can do is ask him. If we know him, then the only thing that makes sense is that we would just ask to receive his living water, to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, to receive the relationship that he actually wants to give us. I think it's challenging because 
It's so simple at times. I think a lot of us can sit here today and be like, okay, I've heard this about Jesus. And maybe like we know in our head that this is who Jesus was, or we understand that this is what Christians believe, or, or how Christians believe that Jesus, who he was, or, or wherever we're coming into this today. But I want to encourage us, like there's something powerful about going from head knowledge to heart knowledge. Of not just knowing in our minds that like, hey, Jesus was God, and he was the creator of the universe, and he's the one true way. And, but like actually allowing that to sink into us. See, knowing Jesus isn't just knowing the historical fact of who he was. But it's recognizing that Jesus is still alive. He still loves us. And he desires a relationship with us right now. Knowing Jesus is not just understanding who he is. Like, okay, yeah, like, I know who Genghis Khan was. I don't know why that's the first historical figure that popped into my head. But it's like, it's not just like, yeah, I know who Genghis Khan was. Like, I've, I did some studying. I, I've researched it. I know who that person was. But knowing Jesus is more like knowing a, a, like a lifelong friend. And, like, there, there's this idea that, like, like it's really hard. Like, I, I think, Pastor Brandon, you talk, you've said this a bunch of times. But it's, like, it's really hard to make new old friends. It's, like, the one thing you can't do. And so I think for us today, it's, like, man, like, I want Jesus to be like an old friend. Like, I want him to be somebody that knows me inside and out, that I know inside and out, that, like, we have an active, vibrant relationship that's just been built over years. And, like, if I keep putting off spending time with him, if I keep putting off investing in this relationship, if I keep putting off studying the scriptures and, and seeing who he's revealed to be in this word, if I keep putting off spending time in silence and solitude with him daily, if I keep putting off uh, gathering with other people who know him and have relationship with him and, and learning from them about who he is, then, like, I'm never going to get to that place where he's this old friend of mine. There's like a greater depth that I believe we can keep moving towards throughout our entire lives of knowing Jesus. And I believe knowing this person, knowing this man of Jesus, knowing this God of Jesus, knowing him transforms us. And when we know him, we can't help but to ask. As he says to the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. See, when we know, we ask. And what is this living water that we ask for? It's the Holy Spirit. It's God working inside of us, the Spirit of God given to us, working in us, always with us, bubbling up and welling up inside of us and springing forth with eternal life. See, what we see kind of broken down in this passage is Jesus goes on to explain. He says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, whoever receives the Holy Spirit, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We see that when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, when we receive this living water, God begins to transform us in a moment. He begins to change us from inside out. And for the rest of our lives, we'll be going through this process of this water welling up in us, of being brought closer to God, of being brought into deeper relationship with Jesus, of being brought into greater worship and greater purpose so that we might have a glorious eternal life with God. It's so simple. When we know, we ask. And when we ask, we receive. said, you would have asked him and he would have given you. I think sometimes we get so tripped up on this because it's so simple. It's like, okay, but no, I got to figure out the true worship first, right? 
It's like, okay, what's this whole true worship thing we're talking about? I gotta figure out this true worship. I gotta live the right way. I gotta do the right things. I gotta get everything in order with all this kind of stuff. And like, yeah, like Nate, you're right. Like I've been worshiping at the wrong altars. I've been doing the wrong stuff. I've been looking in the wrong places. I've been doing all these different things. It's like, okay, I gotta get it right. It's like, look at the woman at the well. She didn't have any of it figured out. She was worshiping God in like the completely wrong way. She had no idea who he was. And even within her own boundaries of her own religion, she was breaking all the rules and had a bunch of different husbands and was living in this brokenness and was searching and thirsting in all the wrong places and all the wrong ways. And yet Jesus showed up and met her. And some of us are sitting here like, all right, this is all great, but like, okay, I gotta go figure out this way to worship different. But that's not the right order. See, Jesus doesn't say that you will be a true worshiper and then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. He says, no, if you know me, you will ask me. And if you ask, you will receive. That's it. We just got to ask. And I know some of us have already made this decision to follow Jesus in our lives. We already have the Holy Spirit. But I believe we need to come back to this posture of asking day in and day out. Coming back to God moment after moment after moment and asking yet again, Lord Jesus, I know that I've gone off course, but God, I love you. I just want to continue to receive what you have for me, continue to well up this spring of living water, continue to transform me, continue to quench this thirst, continue to draw me into this abundant, eternal life with you. And what happens when we know, when we ask, and once we receive, we just respond in worship. It's not something we do to receive, but the natural response to the gift and to the giver. And it says in this passage that we will worship in spirit and in truth. See, as we get to know the Son and experience the Spirit, we can't help but worship the Father. Not in flesh, not in a specific place, not through the disciplines that the Stoics thought they had to have, not through us showing up and going to church and looking just right and having the perfect outfit and, and, and being just humble enough and just modest enough and, and just a, a Christian enough and, and just carrying ourselves in a certain way that we think Christians are supposed to carry themselves. Not in our flesh, but in spirit and in truth. Not by our own power, but by God working inside of us and living inside of us. God within us, calling out to God above us, worshiping Him, praising Him, giving Him the honor and the glory that He deserves. But what does this look like? Because it's worship in spirit and in truth. We see at the end of this story, Jesus talks to the disciples. And he says, they're asking him about his food. I love like nobody ever understands Jesus' metaphors. They say, Rabbi, eat. He says to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And they said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Somebody slipped this guy a burger? What happened here? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. What is true worship? It's obedience. It's not obedience to try to earn anything. It's not obedience to try to satisfy our thirst. That's already been taken care of. But it's beautiful, wonderful, lovely obedience uh, of stepping into our calling and our purpose. It's putting on like a brand new pair of pants that just fits perfect. It's like tossing on a glove that just fits right. It's just like settling into what we were made for and obeying our creator. 
seeking after God, not seeking our own satisfaction, not seeking our own ends, not seeking our own will, but asking God in every area of life, in our families, in our work, in our church, in our relationships, in everything that we do, God, what is your will? What is your purpose? Understanding his word, reading his scripture, knowing his son, experiencing his spirit, and allowing this relationship to guide us into greater understanding, greater obedience, to be fully enveloped in divine relationship with God and in the divine life that he is calling us to. Why don't you guys stand up here today? want to give us an opportunity this morning to ask and to receive. So as I already close your eyes and bow your heads, if you're, if you're here today and you're like, hey, I've never actually asked. Like, I'm thirsty. I am thirsty. But I, I have not known Jesus and I have not asked to receive his living water, to receive the spirit of God in me. I have not said that, God, you are the Lord of my life. I believe who you say that you are and I want to follow you. And if you want to make that decision to follow Jesus this morning, I just want to give you a chance right now. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, so this isn't a manipulative moment and, and, and you can have some privacy. If you're here and you're like, hey, I want to make that choice to follow Jesus, can you just raise up a, a hand this morning? Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Awesome. You can put your hands down. God, I just pray for those making a decision to follow you here today, God. Holy Spirit, just come to them now. God, begin to quench their thirst already. And we know that, like, we're still going to struggle. We're still going to mess up. We still live in a broken world. And it's still going to be hard, Lord God, to go through life with. God, we know that it is totally different when you are with us and you are on our side. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for this decision. God, I thank you for the work that you are doing in the lives of the people who are making it, God. And I just pray that you continue to draw them closer to you and put good people around them as they follow after you in your name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate that? If you made that choice here this morning, I just want to tell you, like, that is the best decision you could ever make. And, uh... We just don't want you to like do this alone. We don't want you to try and live this out in your own strength, by your own power, but we believe that God wants to come alongside you and he wants to put people in your life to support you too. So although you made that decision privately, uh, I just want to ask, like, please come talk to me, come talk to somebody you've seen up here today. Uh, go to the orange table in the lobby. You can connect with us there. You can go to slatechurch.com slash connect online. You can talk to the person you came with a bunch of different ways, but just please, please, please tell somebody that you made this choice this take another moment now and we're going to go back into worship and as we worship I just want to take an opportunity for us to just kind of ask again to just like okay God like I need to come back to you here like Jesus I know who you are and I've received your Holy Spirit but like God like
just going to take a moment. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for every single person here. God, I just thank you for the love that you have for us, Lord Jesus, and just the wonderful way that you reach out to us in the midst of whatever we're going through. God, we repent of our false worship. We repent of looking in the wrong places, God. We just humbly ask you to move in our lives yet again. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.